Do you like beer? Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White, and Bert Deister. Good Saturday morning. Jeremy White with Bert Deister here. It is Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520. And all episodes are available online at WGR550.com in the on-demand portion of uh, our audio site at WGR550.com. Good morning, Bert. Good morning. It is not quite fall. Not quite fall. But it has felt like it this week. Yeah. Some people mixed opinions about that. You know, you're really happy during the workday, weeknights, but really unhappy on the weekend that we're getting this cool weather. It's supposed to be warmer today and tomorrow, yeah. so hopefully... We'll get the best of both worlds here. We've got a lot to get into today about fluctuations in temperature and how people might be kind of trying to skirt that. So we're going to we're gonna do a lot of that. I think last week we even kind of talked about the beginning of fall. I'm excited because I just – I walk outside and I smell fall air and I think about fall beer. And I think it's the best time of season to brew. You know, we talked about how you're not feeling like you're missing being outside because it's nice outside, but it's not so nice that you feel obligated to be there. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of advantages to it. We had an idea for this week's show to basically bring you life hacks for brewing, whether it's tips and tricks for the beginner or gadgets you can buy along the way. And the reason we wanted to do this this week is because I uh, I broke a hydrometer again. And I'm sure you guys saw a lot of hydrometers because they break easily. It's a small glass piece. They break easily. I think we should go right into the you know gadgets for the new brewer here, and that's one that's mandatory. Is a hydrometer, and I, you know it's something that amazes me that still startup kits out there come without hydrometers, or that there's people brewing without them, um, because as breakable as they are, they're your one tool that determines how well the beer is fermenting. There's no other way to tell. Like, am I halfway through fermentation? Am I all the way through? Has my beer even fermented? I mean, you can kind of look at it and say like, oh, is it foamy? Is there some trub sitting in the bottom of here? But really, it's all down to that gravity reading, how much sugar is left. And so the hydrometer is definitely among the essential items you have to have. But as you know, they're quite breakable. I broke two last night. Jeez. Brewing one wheat beer. So Nobody's invented a rubber encased no. hydrometer. There's, we, there's... Sell, we sell some refractometers, and, and they're being much more mass produced now and so the price level has come down on them but they're not nearly as accurate they're great for all grain brewers they're great for when you're mashing or sparging but they're not that great for your finishing gravities they just don't have the accuracy for it and if you drop them they'll break as well and they're a lot more expensive what's, than your cheap hydrometer. what's different between a hydrometer and a refract hydrometer is basically we'll say a bobber or a float and so it's measuring the density by how far it sinks in denser the liquid it doesn't sink in as much and it tends to float more uh refractometer actually measures the density of the liquid by how much it refracts light um and so what you do with the refractometer is you put a drop of beer or wart in this case on the lens put a cover over it and you're looking straight through almost a single lens kaleidoscope and there's a level or graduation in there and where the shadow of the light reflection hits the graduation is huh. where your density is. So people use these not only for brewing, but for winemaking a lot to test. You can take a single grape, squeeze a drop onto the refractometer and get a brick content out on the vine. People also use them from everything from antifreeze to transmission fluid. So they make them in many different ranges, but the ones for home brewing, there's a lot more of them out there. The prices come way down. So if you're 
tired of breaking hydrometers and you want to start breaking some refractometers, come on in and get one. Are they easily breakable, but not they're as? Not, they're not as, to be honest, they're not as easily breakable as a uh, hydrometer. You probably don't put I've them. I've dropped mine once or right. twice already, so. But it's more than that. It's it's about you probably don't put it in a position to be dropped. No, if like I'm, just leaving uh, it about right. midnight in the bottom of the sink and then, you right, know, right. throwing your uh, dirty brew kettle on top of it. That'll do it. That will do See, it. for me, the hydrometer goes in the test tube that's going to you know, test the beer. And then when I lean to dump it, I got to catch it with my fingers, but I got to open my fingers enough to let the beer out. And they, they break easily, obviously. So how much, what about a price point for those refractometers? You said they've come down a bit. So maybe they've come down a bit. So there's some like nice cheaper ones around $40. There's still some really great ones um, around 80, but because of the, you know, break in use, the fact that the cheaper ones initially work just as well as their metal-bodied counterparts. Usually people go for a cheaper one to start out. But usually you'd say this is more for the, the more advanced the brewer you are in terms of your materials, the more appropriate think, it is. Yeah, so all grain, fine. If you're doing extract, you're saying don't do it. You don't it. need it. And again, it's not as accurate for the finishing gravities. So it's a great tool for all grain brewers to kind of see how much sugar is still coming out of your grain bed. But for the extract brewer, you just want a hydrometer. Gotcha. Good luck if to everyone. nothing else, a hydrometer. That's right. And you'll break it in a couple weeks, and you'll need another one. But, I mean, those aren't expensive, and it's, uh, it's just about cleaning up the glass, which I had to do this week. All right, so a couple other tips and tricks, brew tips, uh, brew tricks for anyone that wants to, whether you're going to save time, you're going to find a way to eliminate some sort of problem that could come into your brewing. What are some of the, the best tips and tricks that you would have for people to either save time or save themselves a hassle if they're brewing at home? Well, the first one that I always try to remember, and I would say it's the cause for a lot of uh, domestic issues. If somebody in the house is going to have a problem with you brewing, it's usually because of boil overs. Now, that's where the beer starts to foam up. Now, it foams. It has a lot of tension in the beginning of the boil, and as these proteins tend to separate, it takes a minute for that foam to die back. Um, yeah, well, and what that, tends that, to happen— in, in that process, what is happening? Because you can see it bubbling up, and you— it's as if it's waiting for a window to get through, and once it get, pokes through, it tends to die back. Yeah, you're usually okay by there. What is it that that window allows it to do? What you're actually doing is you're uh, something called the hot break, and you're coagulating proteins in there. Now the proteins give the water tension, so they make it want to foam. They make it want to hold to itself. So when you're coming up to heat, and you're you know creating all this uh, gas and vapor out of the beer. It comes out, it creates foam, and until that foam kind of breaks down because the proteins, again, are coagulating and breaking down into each other, um, it tends to foam up. But then there is that moment where the reaction starts. You start to get the hot break. They start to remove themselves from the liquid and kind of these nice tofu-looking chunks at the top of the brew pot, and all the foam stops. But it can sometimes take a minute. So if you don't have enough room in your pot or you have a stove that really isn't high-powered, this kind of area where the foam stops is kind of fuzzy and can kind of be hard to find. And a lot of times what happened is this beer ends up out of your pot and onto your countertop and caramelized on. So the one trick you can really have is have a glass of cold water nearby. If you take a glass of cold water and you pour it into the pot, it will stop boiling instantly. And in the difference in temperature will actually help out the protein break as well. So not only will it knock your boil over down, it will also kind of make the next rise a little bit easier and more likely to start the hot break. Hmm. You don't have to, you have to spread it around or any just spot? Just a little, just a little dump. 
if you're if, even if you don't need to do it sometime you're brewing next time you're coming up to a boil and you see this you know big kind of level of foam start to rise up the brew pot just put a little bit of water in there just literally like uh, two to four ounces of cold tap water will knock the head on even a five gallon boil back almost instantaneously okay so not a significant amount not anywhere you're going to be raising the level in the pot because no no sometimes if you're worried about a boil over you're worried that you're too close to the ceiling of your pot to begin mm-hmm. with and so just a little bit of water will knock it back okay you got it. at a brewery they tend to be sitting there with a garden hose and they will spray the foam at the top yeah to what about if i had some sort of uh mister yeah misters will work um, the only problem I've had with the mister is if it starts coming up too fast, you can only get so much water out of there so fast. And you're hitting and it with droplets, which isn't going to drop the water, water as Water well. as much as, yeah, hitting it with a big couple ounces all at once. All right. That's a good tip. I've had boilovers. Everybody I've, does eventually. I've had cleanup processes after those boilovers, and it's not exactly the most fun thing to do. So, all right, a, uh, two to four ounces cold water to help that. All right, next, next number, number two home trick that can help things uh, that you might run into. Well, um, I like to have ice ready, um, and I was saying I was brewing last night and ended up going kind of late, and this was the reason why. I was trying to cool down a wheat beer uh, kind of late into the evening, and I didn't have my usual either gallon jug of frozen water. I didn't have a bag of happy ice sitting in the back of the freezer, and all my ice trays were empty. So I ended up with this, you know, five gallons of wort that I had to cool down, and our tap water is still around 70 degrees, so it just wasn't getting down as fast as I would like. So if you have that bag of happy ice around, if you have, you know, the ice or bucket filled in the freezer, you can use that ice when you get down to the last bit, like the last 20 degrees. We're talking 90 to 70 or maybe, you know, 100 um, degrees, and you'll notice all of a sudden when your tap water's warm, your chilling just stops. And having the ice there to kind of either pre-chill your tap water if you have a wort chiller or just set the brew pot in the ice bath, you know, in my case would have saved me about an hour. Yeah. About an hour of waiting around. When it comes to if you're going to put it in an ice bath, it's important to do it in the brew pot as opposed to, because I, I made this mistake once, I actually transferred. Oh, in the bucket. Into the PVC. Uh, yeah, into the bucket. And I don't, I think it's safe to say that does not conduct temperature in quite the same way. You got it. Yeah. And so not nearly as much. And, you know, I ended up putting the beer into a bucket at the end of the night um, because the brew pot I was using does not have a lid. And it was about 90 degrees, 985. And I'm honestly hoping that it got down to 65 when I leave here today. Yeah, it takes that long. It takes that long sometimes in a bucket. It's a big thermal mass, a little bit of liquid, a little bit of you know metal really helps to not only draw the heat out but conduct it as well. A lot of your cooling, though, you're going to use obviously the wort chiller, but um, what about adding your own cold tap water to offset that as well? You can do that. I've done that. I've done that several times. I, I try to, you know, it, I, I think it's probably less um, accurate and less specific, but I will I will get it down to about 80. Mm-hmm. and move it into the bucket. And then from there, I'm going cold tap water. And as it slowly fills up, it's generally hitting a mark of about you know 70 degrees, which is where most of the, the yeasts are being pitched at. So adding your own cold tap water, the only problem with that is it's going to be unscientific in terms of trying to control it. Um, I mean, you would worry about some chlorine in there. And if you undershoot, undershooting temperature is fine. Go ahead, put the yeast in, let the beer warm up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not really going to change the way they're going to metabolize the rest of the batch from doing that. Um, I tend to go for the, um, 
we'll say that I tend to go for more of um, a fail-safe approach uh, on the uh, the cooling of the, the fermentation. I would rather it take longer. I'd rather have a slight infection months down the road than have a beer that's phenolic and overly fruity now. That beer I'll never want to drink. The beer that might have like a Britannomyces infection from the air that won't come out for another three months, I might not even have any left in three months. Especially a light wheat beer like I did last night. If it got infected while it was sitting there in the bucket, which I really doubt it has overnight, um, it's probably going to be gone by the time that infection actually comes to fruition. All right. Good. One more? Got one more before sure. we get into the gadget kind of stuff? Because I know we've got more gadgets we can talk about as sure. well. And I, got one, I got one or two I want to get to for both here. One for new brewers. Once you get down to that 100 mark, like we were talking about, and you're kind of sitting around waiting to what to do, go ahead and start stirring and start aerating. You're not going to rush oxidize the beer at that temperature, and you're going to have to aerate anyways. And after you sit here for an hour and you to get the last, let's say, 10 degrees, you're kind of kind of feel goofy if then you also have to sit there and aerate which you could have been doing for the past hour so kind of utilize that time and also on all grain brewers um, this is something that we kind of tell people a lot and um, they seem really blown away by it try a second running so your mash when you're doing especially if you're doing a big ipa if you're doing like a big stout after you take off your five gallons for the first beer sparge off another five gallons and if it isn't a high enough gravity, gravity for your liking, you can just dump it. There's no loss. But a lot of times you can get a whole second beer out of these big batches. And so we see a lot of people, you know, throwing 20 pounds of grain to make uh, like 9%, 8% IPA. You have a whole second pale ale waiting there in the mash tun for you. And go get it. All right. Just brew it here on ESPN 1520. Tips, tricks, hacks, and gadgets. That's what we're after today to try and let you know things that can make your home brewing life easier. We'll take a break. Get back on the other side. Uh, continue with a few more tips and tricks. What can, what can you tease? What do you got coming up for us? I know Wart Chiller's on that list, of course, because it saves so much time. And yeah. many brewers would already, would already have those. That's like an early level kind of thing. But what, what we got a, we got a looking at the list. We got a lot to save your fingers. All right, a lot to save your fingers from different things here and there. So. That's up next here on Niagara Traditions. Just brew it. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. All right, back here on Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It. Jeremy White with Bert Deister here on ESPN 1520. Tips, tricks, gadgets, things to help you. And as we went to the break, you said you had something that was going to be a save for your fingers. For your fingers. Something to help and make your life easier as a brewer for your fingers. Well, I mean, and Jeremy, you might not realize this as much because you went straight on to kegging, which I kind of did very quickly as well. 
And the bottle washing can be quite tedious. Anybody out there homebrewers and doesn't have a kegging system knows exactly what you're talking about. You spend, you know, what you'd say, 30 seconds per bottle. So for every beer you drink, you have to spend 30 seconds cleaning and sanitizing that bottle. And when you can cut down that time and cut down on how how much space and how much how difficult it is really to clean all these bottles and have them all laid out at once um you make it more likely for you to bottle and for you to actually just get that done one night um there's really two things that kind of work in tandem that really can save you some time first one is the jet and carbuy bottle washer and we sell these things they're made in michigan they have not changed the look the packaging anything um, in the 20 years I've been in the business, they still look absolutely the same. Um, they're a great tool. For anybody who hasn't seen one of these in your brewer yet, or you've probably seen one, or if you don't, this is going to be a revelation to you. They hook up to your standard sink, and they spray hot water into the back of the bottle. They have a little one-way valve in there and a little pin valve, and every time you push a bottle down, they jet it with hot water, similar to what they use to rinse out your glassware at a bar. But if you've been cleaning 55 bottles without one, every time you go to rinse it, so you've filled it with a sanitizer or a cleanser and you do that once and then you do the sanitizer once, in between you have to fill it about halfway, hot water, shake it, dump it, fill it, shake it, dump it, and do that three or four times to rinse it out. So that's going to take you, like we said, about like 30 seconds per bottle where when you have a jet washer, it's literally one or two shots on there, and it's going to take all your cleaner, all your sanitizer, any bits of mold at the back of the bottle or anything like that, and send it out the neck. The other thing that really works well in tandem with that is a Vinator bottle rinser. Now, this works similarly, except it has a tub of cleaner. So every time you pump a bottle on top of it, it sprays a big, you know, load of sanitizer into the bottle. Now, most home brewers, and here's another trick, you either have like your brew buckets or your wash basin sink filled with beer bottles for maybe the night before you bottle as you're cleaning them out. Another good trip is to use your cooler. Most camping coolers will fit about two cases of beer. So if you want to sink them all in there, you have a lid, you can close it up. That way it doesn't spill or anything overnight. Um, but when you use these two gadgets, what turns into a couple of buckets or you know a cooler and or two sinks full of bottles that are kind of sitting there getting in the way again maybe causing some domestic issues for all the empty beer bottles around you just have two little gadgets <clears throat> that will fit into a shoebox um, that you can quickly put away and that you can quickly pull out and within five minutes clean and sanitize a whole load of bottles and that makes a big difference you're not going to be elbow deep in cleaner and sanitizer all night uh, you're really going to get through it quick so those are two gadgets you can get them both for under twenty dollars i think together it's only going to be about 32 33 and they're going to save you an hour in the first two batches and a lot of time with brewing and people say do i need a gadget you have to ask yourself, is it going to make my beer any better or is it going to save me time? If it's not going to do either of those two things, you have to ask why you're getting it. Okay. Very good. we got the hydrometers and bottle washers and rinsers, uh, wort chillers as well. How about I'm seeing on your list of things here you want to talk about the office clip hop spider? Yes. What is that? That Okay. So I end up doing this a lot. I have not built myself a complete hop spider these are something that you can only build really i'm sure there's a couple places hand making them online that you can pick them up but what they are is either a stainless steel screen tube 
or a mesh bag that hangs into your brew pot so that it really takes up almost the entire area or at least a large depth of the brew pot but without ever being able to touch the sides. So normally when you add hops, you might put them into a bag, tie the bag off and just throw it in there. It may end up stuck in a corner, it may end up at the bottom underneath your wart chiller. You don't really know what happens to it after that. The idea with the hop spider, and it's really great for leaf hops, and so the reason I put this down is I'm going to be making mine home harvest IPA soon, and so I'm going to be using lots of leaf hops, and so they don't plug up my ball valve, I need to get out of them. Now, because I don't have a hop spider, what I'm going to do is take my standard, um, and you could use, you know, the standard 79 cent disposable hop bags, but you could also use a reusable nylon one, which is what I'm going to use, and I'm going to put the hops in there, I'm going to put a brew paddle over top of my kettle, and I'm going to clip the bag onto the brew kettle. So what that means is every time we have to do a new addition of spices, new addition of hops, I'm just going to unclip the bag, throw the new hops in, clip it right to the brew paddle, and it's going to hang kind of like a steeping bag of tea right into the top of the kettle and not touch the sides, not end up caked onto the sides of the pot, and therefore not up in my beer. That's something that I try to actually, with working with the hops, I will put the bag in and I will have enough of the bag lean over the side and tie it around the hand of the brew pot, mm-hmm. which kind of suspends it a little bit where I want it, not too far down and not floating too much because obviously you want to get as much, you want to get it submerged or you at least, at least enough where you feel like you're getting all of the hops. Yeah. And that's something I can get away with on my electric stove. Um, but if I'm brewing outside and I'm using the gas burner, I have melted or burned the brew bags off the side of a brew pot. So if you're trying to get a wart up to boil fast or it's a big batch, you got to apply a lot of heat. A lot of that heat's going around the pot and will burn off your uh, brew bag. So you come back after the pot after about 5-10 minutes and then you're kind of questioning whether you even made that first hop addition because it's now fallen into the pot and you can't see it. Hacks, tips, and tricks. You have written here to stir like crazy at one point. We didn't get to that yet. Oh, we did. We talked we a did? little bit. Yeah, yeah. We, right, right before we uh, left for the first program, I was saying for two things that new brewers, if you're when you're waiting for that beer to chill, those last ten to twenty degrees, where we were talking about oh, using ice. Right. Okay. If you don't have ice, part if, of the ice, even if you have ice, if you're standing around there, start your aeration. Don't gotcha. just stare at the water, kind of you know, water cooling or paint drying here. Start your aeration. Start getting O2 in there. Start getting your okay. yeast ready. Make use of that time, and you won't feel so bad at the end of it. Okay, I'm glad you, I'm glad we went over that again because, okay, now essentially what it is is it's two steps in one. You get to yeah. start another step while completing the step before it. You got it. And because, you know, uh, adding oxygen to your beer is the last stop and like me sometimes last night, you end up brewing a lot later than you want to because stuff comes up in between. So you end up turning off the heat and maybe coming back a little bit later, which is okay. But... Um, yeah, you want to make use of that time because if you're finishing up late, you don't want to end up cutting that corner at the end because it is very important. It's the last step when you're brewing, but it's very important to get plenty of oxygen into that beer. Your questions are always, uh, we, we welcome those at ntjustbrewit or at uh, nthomebrew.com. You can email the show as well. We haven't talked about uh, hop harvests yet. Usually we kind of lead off the show with that. And, you know, as each week goes by, we're getting to a different stage in the hop harvest. Are we at the time? We're we're at the time, and I actually I know the yellow cones. That's what I'm looking for, right? Yep, yep. I went over to a friend's house the other day, and we're going to be brewing um, two beers uh, with his fresh hops. And we tend to do this every year. Uh, he doesn't package them. 
we usually do enough for two big IPAs, one uh, with dried hops and one with wet hops. And when we actually looked at his vine, it's only about a three-year-old plant and about half the hops were ready. So we started taking the hops that were ready. We're going to start drying those out now. And then in another week or two, those other hops should be ready to harvest. And so the same day that we're brewing our regular IPA, we'll start harvesting those other hops to make a wet hop beer. So get out there. Take a look at them. People ask me all the time, when is it too late to harvest? When they start to significantly brown. A little bit of browning kind of at the end of the cones is okay, but you don't want it to take over the entire flower or the entire cone. You don't want to let it go brown. So and we've get talked, to it soon. And we've talked a lot extensively about uh, storing. Storing and drying, oasting the hops. So if, you, if you're wondering what to do with them once you take them off the vine, go back to last week's show. And we talk all about the the hop drying preparation, keeping, storing. How about once the once you've clipped them, does the vine stay up? Wait for next year, or does it die all the way back down to the ground? Slowly starts to die back down. If I excuse me, if I clip it, if I decide I'm done, I've harvested my hops, I'm going to go ahead and take it down. The actual rhizome that's still in the ground, that's fine because it's going to come back the next year. You got it. And and to be quite honestly, I do the same thing every year. I, I cut it. Once I'm doing the harvest, it's just easier for me to pull it away from where it is and to kind of do it on a nice table. So I end up cutting it. Now, I know that's done commercially as well. I don't know if it's better for the hot plant to leave it up, but I know that's okay. It's going to die they back commercially, pretty— Commercially, they leave it up? Or no, commercially, they usually oh, cut it okay. as well. Well, they're, they're taking it with like a, a harvester commercially. But um, I know it's safe to cut it because I do it year after year. Um, I don't know if there's a benefit— not to, but it's going to die back in the next couple of weeks here anyways. Really, as we start to lose sunlight, hops are very sunlight dependent. Mm-hmm. It's going to die back anyways. Um, a week or two after they die, the both the vine and the leaves will be very tissue-y uh, kind of consistency. And you can usually just, for my case, rip them right off the trellis, you know. What about up if, in the track. if you wanted to move them for next year? Would you? You actually want to do that in the spring. Okay. So want to leave do that it through the winter. Leave it through the winter. Make sure you got a good cover, whether you cover it with some newspaper or mulch, something to kind of keep some humidity there over the winter and prevent it from hard freezing back and forth too much. And then in the spring, just like the rhizome you originally started with, you're just going to push away some soil, kind of take a good looking clipping, and then you can move that on. Do the rhizomes in the ground, will they get, gain any size? Will they get any bigger? Oh, yeah. You're, you're, so. Your plant's going to get bigger over time, and if I want to, in this, not that your um, Kent Goldings tastes exactly the same or have exactly about a 5.5 to 6 alpha acid every time. They've been blended to kind of get that even consistency. Um, at home, you don't get that, but that's one of kind of the cool things. So year to year, the hops tend to be different. Um, my East Kent Goldings were very soft and floral the first year, but became very kind of um, you know bitter and uh, a little more pungent after about three to four years. So they definitely change over time. I can't tell you how much of that is season to season. I haven't really kept track or haven't had plants side by side. But yeah, no, they definitely change year from year and they definitely attract a terroir depending on the year and the season. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's show. Next week will be the final week we do a show without football season. Yeah. We're that close. Because next week's the 5th, then the 12th, and by then, hopefully, uh, you know, Tom Brady, we know if he's going to be the quarterback or not for the Patriots when the Bills come here. That decision could come, you know, at any day. All right, that's it for us. 
Niagara tradition, tweet us at NTJustBrewit online, NTHomebrew.com. Submit your questions as well. For Bert Deister, I am Jeremy White. Listen each and every week, this time on ESPN 1520, or find us on demand at WGR550.com. And as always, go, go brew yourself. Beer, 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 beer. You've been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.